Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. I think that's all boiled down to when I look at how I lead today is the concept that you see out there called servant leadership. I think what really defines that for me is simply it's the concept that I serve my leadership team and I'm there for their success. It's not the other way around. This is the Business Leadership Podcast and I'm your host, Edwin Frondozo. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. How are you doing today? Welcome back. Took a short break over the long days of summer. July was was pretty crazy. Had to jet off to Slovakia in Europe um, on a family emergency. And with that time, I also took it as an opportunity to actually just unwind, relax, spend some time with the family and friends. I hope you are all enjoying the summer as well. On this episode, this is this is episode 121, and I had the pleasure of sitting down and speaking with David Lloyd, the CEO at Post Beyond. David's been in technology throughout his entire career, and he worked both in large organizations but really loves the startups. In our conversation, we discuss how his career transition from being a software developer to a business leader by basically realizing what his value is. He talks about the concept of servant leadership and why servant leadership is a key concept in being a successful leader. David highlights the significance of innovation and learning in the organization and he she shows us how post beyond encourages it today's podcast is brought to you by true shield insurance canada's most trusted insurer for entrepreneurs and small businesses now let's get to it welcome to the business leadership podcast david glad to be here I'm super happy and super excited uh, for you to join us, David. Maybe if you could, if you could just start off by introducing yourself to our listeners today. If you could tell us who you are and actually what you like to do when you're not maybe growing and scaling businesses. Yeah, there's there's precious little time sometimes for uh, the extracurricular. But, uh, you know, I think I've got, I'm a little long in the tooth. I've had uh, five uh, companies that I've done uh, startups and exits with, not including a couple of other organizations I've worked with. So it's really formed a big part of my life. But I think, uh, you know, about me personally, blessed with two amazing kids. Uh, Both of them are in tech. One of them is in uh, marketing in tech and uh She's been uh, very busy herself in that uh, regard. And then my son is in tech as well, just finishing up his master's at Waterloo. And he's just launched his first company in uh, bioengineering and robotics. 
So it's really nice to have them both heavily engaged in technology. And uh, my wife and I have been able to really continue to play that important role in their lives because of the nature of what they've decided to do, which I think is really interesting, too. So the conversations that still happen when we're together are really very, very different than what I ever remember having with my father. And so I think uh, we're, we're blessed to be able to have a big part of our lives still very focused on family, uh, with my wife really as the nucleus of the rock for uh, the entire family as well. And when I'm not focused on that, uh, cycling is my big passion. And I do uh, endurance rides, so typically long-distance rides, 165. I'm doing my first 200K ride uh, this year. So I spend a lot of time on the bicycle. I actually cycle in and out of Toronto couple of times a week uh, as part of the training from where I live in Burlington. So I try to keep active, clear my head out that way, and really enjoy that as a key passion. And that gives you a bit of understanding maybe about who I am and, uh, and what I'm like. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations on everything that, you, I guess, keeping you busy outside of businesses, outside of work. And I love that uh, you share a lot of things with your with your children in terms of technology, and I'm sure we'll, we'll probably get into it, and having someone like you within the family, always, as you mentioned, part of five companies, startup and exits, and them being in technology, you're able to instill a lot of the knowledge of the wisdom that you've seen, especially growing companies as well. So, so that's amazing. And the endurance side, I just have to mention, congratulations on that. Um, I'm actually training for... Um, my fourth marathon, the Berlin marathon, which is in a couple of months. So I do, I do spend a lot of time, um, outside of the family as well. Just, just training, clearing my head and, and I love it. So, <laughs> and I'm sure it's a s similar in terms of what you're doing as well. Um, yeah, so we both probably love and hate the weather today. So, uh, it's kind of with mixed emotions. We run or ride in it. Yeah, no, for, for those who are listening in Toronto right now, it's middle of summer, and super, super humid. I did run, um, David, yesterday, and man, it was I was so hot. Uh, and I do it in the mornings, but uh, you know, just because you have to get it done, right? There's no excuses. You you cannot. For those who are runners, they could ex appreciate this. For, you cannot. You could train, but you cannot pr predict the weather during a race day. So you have to do through every weather that hits you. Uh, and the way I say it with my friends, David, is it's a training opportunity. <laughs> it's true. That's very true. Yeah. But uh, let's just jump right in into today, David. Can you start by telling us about PostBeyond? Let us know your specific role, responsibilities, and perhaps what you're trying to accomplish over the next, over the next half year or so. Certainly. Um, Postman's a great company. And actually, I'm, I'm not a founder, but I have brought it on board as CEO uh, just over two years ago now to really work with the founder's company and really transition it to the next stage of growth. If you look at what PostBeyond does, our vision really for, for what we do is unlock the potential for influence uh, within everyone. And what we mean by that is we provide a platform that allows employees, uh, partners, customers, and third parties to be influencers on behalf of a brand in a business-to-business -business enterprise uh, sense. And so that's what we focus on primarily with Post Beyond. 
And, um, you know, I drive the strategy and the execution of the business. That's, that's part of my core responsibility. But I think the most important part that I'm really focused on is a coach and a leader to what is a, a great young leadership group. Uh, in some ways, it's quite funny because the mean average age of my kids is probably very close to the mean average age of some of the young leaders I'm working with inside the company. So I have a unique perspective that perhaps others don't. And, you know, our platform now has really reached this critical point where we're very focused on sales and marketing and have finally moved out of that early adoption stage. Uh, we're noted by Forrester as a top performer and G2 Crowd as a leader. So we've done some great work. And now we're just really focused on that growth and just entering the stage right now, starting last week, where we're raising our next round of funding in order to really help drive that growth. I mean, sounds like you've got your hands full. And something that just came to mind, David, as someone who's gone through this situation a number of times in the past. So I wanted to take you back two years ago as you were looking at this opportunity at Post Beyond and looking at the founders. So when you look at a startup and or joining a company that's growing or, or scaling at this point, what, what were you assessing and, and what did you really like that you you couldn't turn down this situation? Well, there's a number of facets there. I think the first one that was really interesting was I got to spend time with the founders well before I made the decision to come over. So I just sold my previous company. We had a great exit to a company in the Valley, uh, 24-7. And then uh, I spent a couple of years there as part of the, the lock-in, uh, doing a number of uh, really interesting uh, projects on behalf of the CEO and running one of the larger groups for technology delivery. And as that was getting near the end, I was beginning to get the itch for uh, that next uh, uh, leadership role. And I met the founders and they kind of took me through their cycle of how they founded the company and started the company. And, and the one founder had just come out of the University of Waterloo. This was kind of his first gig. And the second founder had more business experience. And they'd really seen this critical need in the market and really well call is just content amplification. Because we spend millions and millions as businesses on content, but the biggest challenge is, is the content getting consumed? Is it getting consumed in a way that uh, is trusted? Uh, and how well is that content actually driving behavior from those that are consuming it? So they really understood those aspects of it. And we're very focused on what I would say we call employee advocacy. Uh, and we've kind of moved that out of just advocacy into influence in general for employees. And they were very focused on both employee communications as well as social engagement. And so to me, it just it was very exciting because they had a great product that actually worked. And the founders actually had really uh, latched on to a great business idea that I thought personally, when I looked at it, made a lot of sense for two really or three compelling reasons. Barely anyone answers their phone anymore. So cold calling is dying quickly. And so is email. So reaching a prospect or someone through those traditional methods has become more and more challenging. And then finally, traditional advertising in terms of reach is also dying. And all that money is actually moving to the social side for advertising. So how do you reach and engage an audience when the audience isn't answering the phone, picking up the email, or reacting or consuming any of the advertising. <laughs> yeah. And so social was the key, uh, key perspective they had in that engagement. And what they recognized, which was pretty interesting as well, is that 
typically, if you think about it, a brand has a certain um, reach. Let's call that 1x. And you have these employees who actually have four to six times the size or the reach of that actual brand. So when you look at it, if you think of it as a big marble as your brand, that marble has a certain surface area and weight. And if you take even 20 to 30% of your employees, they weigh as much as that big marble, but their surface area is about four to six times larger. So they have far more reach than the brand. And the other critical part of that is because you're sharing content through your own social networks on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, on mobile, on Instagram, and others, your your message is trusted so much more by your network because they know who you are. So you have four to six times the reach and six to eight times the trust in that reach versus the brand itself. In fact, if I trust the brand 1x, I'll trust the CEO with that same message 2x, and I'll trust an employee or a a partner or customer sharing that in their personal network six to eight times more. I really felt they really latched on to some real key components of the business. And that's what got me excited. Yeah, I mean, it's super exciting. And and you you hit a lot of points in terms of really amplifying messages and, and stuff that you know, I talk about with my customers and when I work with them closely. So really exciting. I wanted to take back, um, I guess, throughout your career. And I'm sure as I talk to many business leaders, executives, David, you know, they always talk about challenges and, you know, things that they had to go through. But I'm wondering if there is one specific example that it was a difficult situation, a difficult decision that you had to make. And typically, sometimes this is earlier on the career, but maybe it was later on the career, but that really helped you form the type of leader you are as you had to make that first or really difficult decision. Can you can you share a story on that? Um, yeah, there's probably a couple. One that comes to mind was actually, to your point, I would say fairly early in my career, likely in one of my first leadership roles or what I considered a, a true leadership role. And when I think about that time, the, the actual interesting challenge was I was technical, I was a software developer, and I had a chance now to lead a team of developers. And I was faced with hiring. And one of the, the, the key things that came up was we had a, uh, a brilliant developer that had come in and interviewed, very, very strong, stronger than I was. And I really became really uh, almost somewhat uncomfortable because I thought, wow, this person themselves is a much better software developer, I think, than I am in terms of experience. And what happens if they take over my job? And so I was, I became really focused on what happens to me and not really truly stepping back and understanding what my value is going to be moving forward. And so um, I had a great leader at that point that I've learned a number of uh, different uh, lessons from. And he looked at me and he said, look, in the end, is this the right developer? And I, I said, look, I, the only concern I have is we're going to hire him and he's actually probably going to move on to something else because we're not going to provide enough challenge for him. But I said, he's absolutely the right hire in terms of intelligence and ability. And so we ended up hiring that person. And um, I was concerned at first. And then I, I realized what my value was. And my value in leading at that point wasn't whether I was the best developer. In fact, that was probably 
the point that I should have shrugged off really early. It was the fact that I could bring together a development team to solve problems and then communicate around that, that was really my new value going forward. So our value is constantly changing. But had I maybe not hired that person, I wouldn't have built the strongest team possible at that point in time because of my own uh, fears or my own um, concerns. And so by getting over that, I learned that your value constantly changes. You are only going to be able to accelerate your career when you can bring individuals into your team that can do what you are doing better than you can. So you can focus on new, larger problems. And what I realized was I was a really strong communicator. I really understood technology very well. And it was okay that I wasn't going to be the best developer anymore because that wasn't going to be my value in that next stage of my career. Yeah, and getting over this, you know, as you say, letting go, what helped you do that? Or was there something that just sort of clicked? And as as you mentioned earlier, I mean, you're coaching younger leaders now, and maybe you're having these conversations already with, with some key individuals within your organization now. So is there something that clicked? Was it just because of this outside situation that was happening as people were coming in or you just just really had to let it go is it just as simple as that i i think i think the big part of it was understanding what my value was my value again was no longer being a developer uh specifically it was actually now as the orchestra leader it was the coordination of the development effort of multiple developers and multiple engineers to solve a problem and be able to then communicate that uh to customers both internally and externally, and lead that group or orchestrate that group. That was what the organization, in effect, was paying me for in my new role. And I really had to get my head around it. And then that's probably where I struggled at first. I didn't see that value because my value had always been attached to the code I wrote, how effective it was, how efficient it was in solving the problem. And I hadn't made that value jump. And so when I'm working with my team, either at Post Beyond or I also mentor a number of different uh, entrepreneurs out there, you know, it's always a focus on making sure you've got the best possible people into your organization that are going to allow you to scale. And just had a conversation with one of my great leaders today about that, which is what's your next incremental three hires? Why are you hiring them? How does that affect your span and sphere of control? How does that affect the way your organization's going to look and what you're going to be able to achieve as a leader yourself? Right, that's amazing. Well, I appreciate you sharing and and it's always ever ever evolving, I'm sure you know this, in terms of your value proposition as you grow as a business leader. And and for those who are listening, um, it's like reinventing yourself. I wanted to actually just get your insights, David, in terms of the your philosophy when it comes to leadership, um, when it comes to working with younger individuals now, and, and how you approach this. Sure. I think one of the things that I was fortunate to learn as lessons uh, early in the career, I learned about compassionate leadership from one leader I had. And I made, it's funny, we're just at one of those uh, uh, regular meetups that talks about the, the big effing mistake you made uh, in, the, uh, in that particular point in time. And I remember one leader 
could have fired me for for the mistake and instead just helped me fix it. And, and so I've always had great leaders in my career, and I've learned some great things from them. I've also had some poor leaders that I've learned a lot from just by not repeating the types of mistakes they've made. I think what that's all boiled down to when it looks when I look at how I lead today is a concept that you see out there called servant leadership. And I think what really defines that for me is simply it's the concept that I serve my leadership team and I'm there for their success. It's not the other way around. And I see a lot of leaders out there today where you know, the CEO is all puffed up. And this is whether you're uh, uh, brand new to the role or you've been in the role a long time. And you kind of look out over your team. You've just raised money. And you almost look at them as you're here to serve me. And that's such a wrong way to look at how you're going to be successful as a leader. So that flipping of the role and making sure that all you're focused on is the success of their your leadership, and then they're taking that same cue to make sure that every team member under them, they're focused on their success. You have, in the, in the end, you're going to get painted with a beautiful brush of being a great leader. But what I think is so important about that is it, it really drives the right qualities um, uh, that I look for in myself and others. So whether it's uh, a stronger degree of empathy, and I'm always working on that. Uh, empathy is not my strongest suit, but I've gotten better and better year over year. Eventually, at some point, I'll actually think I've actually gotten to the point where I'm actually really good at it. I look at the whole issues of humility. Um, I don't, a lot of people look at me and they say, David, you're, you're, you're lower key uh, around the company and you're not, you're not constantly out there rah-rah being a cheerleader. And that's because I believe in the level of humility. Even when we're successful, I believe in the level of humility uh, across the company and working with the board. For nothing more than everyone's working really hard and pounding our chest and yelling at the top of our lungs all the time, which we see a lot in the market, doesn't make you successful. You know, it's like spending all your time talking about what your valuation was versus what value your product delivers. I don't care about that. I care about what value your product delivers, what your sales are, your revenue. Those are things to be proud of, but you don't have to wear it on your sleeve. Hey there. How are you enjoying this conversation that I'm having with David? But before getting back to our conversation, I'd like to take the time to say thanks to my episode sponsor, True Shield Insurance, Canada's most trusted insurer for entrepreneurs and small businesses. True Shield not only will help educate you on the risks of your businesses, but also provide unique solutions, including the ability to purchase your insurance directly online. Simply go to trueshield.ca, answer a few questions, and get a quote which you could purchase. Let TrueShield help protect what you've worked so hard to build. Now let's get back to it. I wonder, David, for your role as CEO, like how do you balance yourself? Because sometimes you know, your role asks you to pound your chest per se, right? But obviously there's certain times and situations when you want to do that, but is not to say that you there's a real number out there, but how, how are you balancing it? Like you coming on a podcast to talk about yourself and the, the business versus, you know, ensuring that maybe you're 95% of the time, you're just in the business making sure everyone is successful. 
Is there is there a rule that you live by, or is there, or is it you just play day by day? I think I play it situation by situation. The one thing I think uh, a lot of my team members and people that know me would say is I'm genuine. Um, you know, we lo- use lots of terms for that. But in the end, what you see is what you get. So I was just at uh, an event uh, last week on Monday with some great people uh, talking about the whole role of uh, startup CEO and how it transitions and changes over time. And I think I was just really matter of fact about it, sharing from a personal level, I think in a way that people in the audience could look at that and say, genuinely, he's talking about the way he really feels about it. And then there's other times as we're talking to investors where I'm absolutely, the passion and the excitement for the business is huge. And I'm much more animated from that standpoint. And I'm not trying to dial it up or dial it down. It's just, I think there's different attitudes or moods for different times and different expectations. When I'm sharing great success we may have had in the quarter my, my, I'm actually low key. And when I have all the leadership team in the board meeting, which I like to do, because it's a great learning opportunity, I let them take center stage. So a lot of my uh, kind of uh, what I would say is uh, my more quiet or, or humble side of that is also to allow others in the organization to shine. And that means that they're successful and they're having success. And that, to me, is probably one of the best outcomes that I can hope to achieve uh, from that standpoint. It's really the best interest of others. So, yeah, can I wind it up? Yes. Can I get on stage and deliver a killer, passionate speech? Absolutely. But doing it all the time isn't me. It's not authentic. And doing it all the time takes away from the real highs and lows a business has. And I think it's important that you are very genuine uh, for the most part about those those feelings and the way you articulate them. No, that makes sense. And I appreciate you sharing. I got a, I got a question that I want to ask you because I, I also come from the computer engineering background, engineering degree. Um, and it's very something that I've been really interested and in focused on. So I'd love to get your thoughts, given your um, background and leadership um, career, when it comes to leading the next generation, you know, the younger workforce, when we have all these new innovations like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the thought of um, eliminating a lot of a lot of the process-oriented jobs out there, I'm wondering what you are instilling or if you are instilling any type of thoughts within, whether it's in your organization or to people that you know. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty heady question. Um, as you know, my previous company was involved uh, much more deeply in the whole area of both uh, human-assisted and some automated machine learning early in the chatbot space, actually conversationally. Um, and so I think one of the things that people need to realize is, first, one of the more interesting things to me, and this came up during a conversation um, on Wednesday, is you know people are asking me about hiring and how you go about hiring. And one of the things I always look for is not the person's career for the past five or 10 years. I actually kind of focus in on the last couple of years. And specifically, one of the big areas I look at is what new things has that person learned? So I always, at this point, still interview candidates coming in because we're really looking for culture and value fit when I'm looking at it. I'm not looking to do a technical interview. I think I'll leave that to my leaders who do great jobs there. But I'm always looking for those individuals that really believe very much in life, lifelong learning. 
Um, one of the things we do internally for both the leaders but across the whole company is what we call Innovation Fridays. Now, what that means is Friday from whatever time you get in in the morning till about noon, you're not allowed to do your work. So you're not doing your regular work. You have had to pick a project, an idea, a concept, or something you want to learn, and that's what you're focused on. And so one of the ways that we help drive this concept around the next technologies and new innovations and AI is by giving people the freedom to learn and fail, learn and apply. And it doesn't have to be towards post beyond. It can be towards something else, but actually dig in and learn something new. Because I think what's going to make us resilient as an organization, but also create resiliency in the careers of the individuals that are part of this organization, whether they're here or in three to five years or somewhere else, is what they are able to consistently and constantly learn and absorb. That's what's going to really help them considerably extend themselves and really empower them as they go through their career. Those that are static that don't want to do that, um, I, I would recommend against not hiring them because they don't have that passion for learning. So, you know, I've, and I've had a couple of interviews where someone says, you know, I graduated university four years ago. Wow, I was glad to be done the uh, learning at that point. And so when I start talking about what they learned recently, it's a pretty flat conversation. And to me, that's a big red flag. Yeah, no, that's great. And I love the your concept of innovation Fridays. And not to dig too deep because I, sure. I definitely did. I, I mean, I almost want to work with you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but when it comes to like, the projects that the folks in your organizations are working on, is there actually like, how do you, or is there, or maybe it's not even necessary to know what everyone's working on just to see what the value is or, or what they're learning and be interested in what everyone is working on. Well, I think um, we have a Slack channel that allows people to talk about what they're learning. It's not a requirement, um, but they definitely have the Slack channel. I think going back to the, the core of the question, too, when you look at the next generation workforce, what's been impressive is, you know, I know some of our team members from the customer success side, uh, we're really interested in all the data we generated out of uh, the product. And they found uh, a really unique way to help individuals understand how to improve their brand and understand how well they're performing in social by looking at the data. So they actually used um, their Innovation Fridays to design uh, a weekly analysis that uh, we get by default automatically, that really sums up how well we're performing in social using the platform. And that's now, funny enough, it's made the innovation into the point where we're tiling that with a number of customers because it provides a great overview of your effectiveness across different social networks in content engagement. So that's just one example. We have uh, another individual that's actually working very closely on uh, machine learning to determine uh, content suggestions based on performance of past content. So if you have a bunch of content for David Lloyd that he shares that does done really well, then the machine learning around that will help uh, inform David what other content he should be sharing that's likely to perform well and engage in audiences at the same time. And then, you know, even for myself, uh, I decided that it'd been a long time since I'd done any software development. We're, we're a shop that focuses a lot on Python and Mongo and a couple of other technologies here. So I did the University of Michigan six program course in Python, Mongo, and other technologies. And I took on that and did that uh, 
that course. And so walk the talk at the same time. And people are doing everything. We have one uh, individual that really wanted to master Excel for a lot of what they're doing, and they took courses in that. So innovation isn't just about creating something that nobody else has created. It's just about education and learning something new and pushing yourself. Yeah, no, right. And uh, and I talk about this a lot, like upskilling yourself, whether you're the entrepreneur learning how to hire someone or, you know, middle manager or a subject matter expert learning a new, not technology. And just like you said, Excel, I mean, Excel is such a deep, <laughs> there's so much to learn in Excel. And, and if you're an expert, <laughs> if you're an expert in Excel, man, I, I give kudos to you. <laughs> uh well, it's it's even you know uh, the even the languages. I mean, you look at Python, and you know, no no computer language specifically wows me anymore. Maybe I've become a little crusty. But what's amazing <laughs> is the libraries that that, are, that allow for natural language processing, sentiment analysis, um, machine learning, and and others. That's that's the exciting part. It just it's like a flower, and it just keeps opening, and you keep finding and learning new things you do with it. And I think that's that makes it really exciting. Yeah, no, amazing. David, I'm wondering, um, as I um, like to ask, and I'm growing a list here on the back end, I'm wondering what you're reading right now. Uh, listening to or reading? Um, I'm, not, uh, I'm not reading anything specifically. I just I listen pretty regularly. I've actually listened now to your podcast, and I listen to the Saster podcast as well. I find those yep. are great. And I actually read an old book, uh, but I did it through audio, so uh, called uh, Hooked, which was way back from 2014, but it talks about uh, the psychological design of products to uh, get a, an end user to use them habitually. And I thought that, was, uh, that comes back from the HubSpot days. I think that was the head of product for HubSpot who wrote that. And then I just finished another audio book called Democracy and Chains. So completely different. We won't get into Trump versus everyone else, but it was a, a historic uh, review from the U.S. of how early the Republican Party really worked towards trying to change the way government worked. And it starts back in the, the 1700s and rolls forward. It was written by uh, the head of history for one of the universities. I think it was the University of Virginia. And that was a, it was a dense uh, audio book in terms of its content, but really quite amazing what, uh, what has actually transpired over the last couple of hundred years to put democracy where it is today. Well, that's, I mean, that's super fascinating, and I appreciate you sharing both, both the two books. Um, and I guess this, the last book that you mentioned, what was the name of it? Uh, that one was called Democracy in Chains. Yeah, I mean, it almost shows to you as a business leader or a leader, it takes time to make change as well, <laughs> is, is what yeah. I wanted to mention. It does. Um, but it's a, it, was an interesting, it was an interesting book way outside what I normally read, which are typically uh, business-oriented or technology-oriented uh, publications. Amazing. Um, I talk a lot about systems, hacks to help you improve whether um, you are, you know, personal development or within a business scape. I'm wondering, David, if you have any new hacks, any new systems, productivity tools that you have recently learned and maybe you're implementing now that that's helping you move forward. I'm not sure I've learned any recent ones that have uh, 
really had a big impact on me. There's there's one technique I've used for a good period of time because I think one of the biggest challenges we all have, whether you're uh, a developer in the trenches, customer service, you're in the people or operations side, and the biggest challenge we fo- we face nowadays is the concept of focus. And I think we've really lost sight of for everything you do, there's something you can't do. So we have to be far more discerning about how we spend our time. Um, Everyone's convinced that they can multitask and every piece of evidence out there tells you that's bullshit. You can't. So one of the things that I do, and I share it with my team and they actually apply it today, is I have a concept of uh, when I look at the list of things I have to accomplish, and I do it almost every single day, you're allowed one A item and two B items. And you can't go on to anything else until you've resolved the A item and then the two B items. And if all you've resolved is the A item, then the next day you look at it and say, has one of the B items escalated to be the A item? And then what's the next two B items? So fundamentally, it keeps me focused on the top three uh, items I need to really resolve to clear roadblocks for my team, uh, get done myself, and make sure that I'm putting focused time on those. Because it's so easy to want to do easier things on our list that makes it feel good to get the check mark and check the box off. And arguably, that just steals away time from what you really need to be doing. So 1A, 2Bs, that's all you're allowed every day. If you get that done, awesome, move on. But every day you prioritize according to that. I love that. I might, I mean, I do for myself personally, and, and, I, and I've taught this as well. I always say just if you finish three things that will help you move your business forward or yourself forward, you should be super happy. But I like how you broke it down to, to levels, <laughs> 1A and, and 2Bs. That's great. Um, David, before we end, uh, I want to ask you actually two things. I want to know if there's any special projects, initiatives, or anything fun that you'd love to share with the listeners uh, today? Um, you know, my special projects, I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to work with a number of young entrepreneurs that are in the city. And I think that's always exciting because their businesses are so vastly different than mine. And to see, you know, how they're just approaching uh, problem solving and arguably maybe much differently than I would and really trying to change things. So I love working with individuals like that, including both uh, my son, uh, a little bit less with my daughter because she's really got that path. But my son's company is really uh, driving forward. He won Velocity at the Waterloo and uh, got early family and friends and a couple of uh, initial uh, shekels in the wallet to get that going. So I spend a bit of time with him. And I actually have a car I'm working on because I know nothing about vehicles. I know lots about tech. I know nothing about how a car engine really works. So uh, I bought a, a car that was inexpensive and slowly learning how to take it apart. We'll figure out if I actually figure out how to put it back together. And so I I'm literally learning how the engine works, how how everything, uh, how functions uh, like that work. And it's an old car, so it doesn't have any of the high-tech stuff. So it uh, makes it a little more accessible. Today, I'd need you know an alien laptop to fundamentally work on a car. But I'm talking about something that just uses basic tools. The problem is I don't have a lot of time necessarily to spend on it. But when I do, I enjoy driving it a bit and trying to fix the mistakes I introduce in the car when I try to touch different things what kind of car did you pick up um it's an old uh, porsche 914 
Awesome. Awesome. So for those who who have a Porsche 914 and could give David a hand <laughs> with the engine, let us know. Um, any final thoughts, observations? Um, David, ideally, what we'd like to share is some type of actionable items that you can share with the growing business leader, whether they're in technology or not, who are listening today. Wow. Um, be, be a great player coach. I think one of the toughest things in reflecting on business leadership is your role does constantly change, especially in a young company. And there's times where you need to be able to really roll up your sleeves and not dictate, but get things done. That would be obviously the player side. And then there's times mm-hmm. when you really need to pull back and let others have the experience fail potentially. And that's when you need to be the coach. And I think you just have to be uh, really self-actualizing and self-aware. But that to me is probably the one observation I would leave with. Um, I'm blessed at Post Beyond to have a number of individuals that are good player coaches. They can roll up their sleeves and dig in. But they also understand Mm -hmm. that in the end, their team – their team wants to do the cool stuff too. So you can't take that away. You got to let them enjoy. And and they're going to enjoy also through making mistakes. And you have to accept that. And you have to be there in a positive way to coach them through it. But you have to let them kind of go through that failing. You can't catch them every time they're about to fall. You actually have to let them fall once in a while. So player coach would be one of the ones I would uh, really focus on. I love that. I love that's the first time uh, someone had mentioned uh, being the player coach within the organization or as in a leadership trait. David, it's been an absolute pleasure. So to close, can you tell us where we could find more information about Post Beyond um, yourself or anything else you'd like to share with us today? Sure. www.postbeyond.com is where you'll find us. Uh, myself, personally, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and you'll also find me on Twitter at David Lloyd underscore PB. And uh, if you're trying to connect on LinkedIn, recognize I'm pretty hardcore about it. Uh, if I haven't met you or done business or gotten referral from someone for you, uh, I typically don't LinkedIn because I love to be able to refer out of my network. So I'm a little hardcore on that. But I believe that if someone uh, wants to you know, talk to somebody, I'm saying I know through LinkedIn, I should be able to go, oh, yeah, oh, I don't remember who they are. I, I like to have had some type of connection with that person, but always happy to make new ones. And uh, if you have questions or I can help in any way, just give me a call. Awesome. Well, David, thank you again uh, for spending the time on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you very much. I thought it was a great time. That's it, Biz Leaders. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Business Leadership Podcast. This was episode 121 with David Lloyd. If you want to learn more about David, Post Beyond, or anything else we discuss, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 121. Join me on my private Facebook group where I will discuss this episode, answer your questions, and connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Simply search for the Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. Thank you again to today's sponsor, True Shield Insurance, Canada's most trusted insurer for entrepreneurs and small businesses. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening today. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Edwin.
Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Okay.